0: details to me are, that's where it's all at. You know, I have a, one of my early promotions was attend to detail and it just, is just a different way of saying it, but it's the little things. And one of the things I hear back all the time from my customers, a million dollar Caller is, I just feel more confident. I feel so put together and it's like,
1: you found the real estate law podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast. I'm so excited that you've joined us today because we have an amazing guest, He is, I'm going to call you a serial entrepreneur, Rob, you know, because you seem like you're always working on something new and you could tell us about a bunch of your different projects right here. But the great thing about Rob, this is Rob Kessler, who we're about to talk to, is that uh, he started earlier on in real estate and commercial real estate, and that has really helped springboard him into a number of different endeavors that he's working on right now. And we'll get into all of those and how real estate really had set him on that path. Uh, We're also here with Rory Gill, who is an attorney broker, next home title town here in Boston and Urban Village Legal.
3: Hi, Rory. Hi, Jason. Yeah, I only have two businesses, so I don't know what I'm going to offer today. I feel so so light on my commitments.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. I think, Rob, you have 74 businesses. Is that right?
0: 74. Yeah, I think 74 is where we're at.
2: (laughs) We're eventually going to get down to talking about million dollar collar which you know we're completely embarrassed that we don't have those in our collars mm. right now mm. i watch a number of videos about million dollar collar because when you know, we booked this uh interview with you a couple weeks ago i was showing rory some of the videos that i found and i said "Oh, okay i get this now like you take the stitching out you put this in the collar you get the button undone you look i mean it's exactly what you look like right now if you're watching this on youtube i'm guessing that shirt has a million dollar collar in it right
0: it does, and it's actually one of our uh, first rounds of our own shirt. We tried making our own shirt called Go Tieless, Um So it's the first shirt designed to be worn without a tie. So the quick synopsis of Million Dollar Collar is, think collar stay, except nine inches long, and it goes down the front of your shirt where the buttons and the holes are. So when you go without a tie, which 90% of men do most of the time, it's going to look great all day long, especially when you throw a jacket on. You know how it always gets kind of like caught under the lapel, mm-hmm so you can see that photo from my wedding is where this all came from a brand new freshly pressed shirt that picture was taken before i even said i do in jamaica i came home from from that that trip and it's like i gotta do something about this because i hated wearing ties and every other solution just was some kind of kitschy collar stay and i figured that that had been fixed a long time ago and to me the problem was the front of the shirt that's what's collapsing under the weight Mm -hmm. of the collar so it's basically a, a collar support, and it's uh, the first of its kind in the world. So the
2: placard, the plaque.
0: Yeah. So this part of the shirt is called the placket. It's an opening that placket. makes it accessible to put on clothing. Uh, but nobody knows what a placket is if you're outside of the clothing industry. So that's why we went with million dollar collar as opposed to perfect placket or something like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
2: I only know what that is because I, I did my homework and watched some videos. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're one of the 3% that knows what that is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you've
0: educated me, Rob. Um,
2: let's start a little bit from the beginning to figure out how you got to Million Dollar Collar and really funny social media, also. I think you're always highlighting celebrities that don't have them and should have them. Pla- placiditis, or is that what you call it? Placiditis,
0: right? yeah. My wife placiditis. came up with that pretty mm-hmm. early on. We're like, we need it, we need it to sound like a disease that's curable. And mm-hmm. since it's is the placket, we're like, placketitis. I uh, was like, it was perfect. So yeah, we. Uh, it's easy to find a celebrity or anybody out there that has a, a goofed up shirt. So uh, today, today's post was Dana White from the UFC. So you can see his face and it. it's pretty, pretty funny. But I actually work with a lot of people. My wife is a Hollywood stunt woman. So she's on set all the time talking to costumers. So we've been in dozens and dozens of TV shows. I spent a lot of time connecting with you know, that industry and just trying to highlight what our product does. Cause you know, if you ever watch a show and, and obviously I'm like highly acute to that part of the shirt, but it's like one, one take, it'd be like this the next take would be like this. Then it'd be like this. And I'm like, dude, look at that. It looks crazy. Right. So they really appreciate the consistency of the shirt just being perfect, that perfect V all the time. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild little ride.
2: Do do you ever, do you ever look back at like the past, I don't know how many years you've been working years, decades and say, geez, I never thought I'd get to here. I mean, where you are now, you know, versus years ago, you're like, you know, because we all, we're all writing our story, right? You know, who knows where we're going to be five, 10 years from now, we could write it down, but you know, life might take us on a different turn. Um, You know, I was reading up about your background and and it seems like you started with some commercial real estate properties in the Midwest. And I'm guessing that when you were operating those, you probably weren't thinking toward a, a million dollar collar idea, or or maybe you were.
0: I always tinkered around with little stuff. I mean, I've come up with a couple other inventions over the years. Uh, this is the first one that I've pursued like hard, full on, but I'll tell you the e-commerce world versus, you know, if you read my bio, I, I sold houses, cars, and diamonds. So the three most expensive things that most people buy in their lifetime that's a, a very relationship type business. It's typically a longer process. E-commerce is a whole other world, so I struggle with the how to relate my, you know, personality in e-commerce versus what I'm used to. But you know, I always dreamed big. Uh, that's why my wife and I we were actually dating other people when we met. We just kind of started talking, and we're like, "Well, dude, you're into this, and I'm into this." And we're, we seem like we're kind of going like going in the same direction. So you know, we found each other pretty quickly and. But yeah, I always dreamed really big and you know, to me it's taking longer than I ever thought or hoped, which I think most entrepreneurs will tell you that it does take longer, but I've had the fortunate opportunity to just try anything I wanted. You know, I really liked architecture from a young age. Saturday mornings in high school, you know, after going out with my friends on Friday night, I was laying in bed watching Home Time and remodeling TV shows and stuff and I just so I understood, conceptually, I got what that stuff was all about. I just really liked architecture. So I ended up going to UW-Milwaukee, which was the second best architecture school in the country when I uh, went into college. So uh, I wasn't that kind of a student. So I knew pretty quickly I wasn't going to be an architect. But out of college, I ended up getting in real estate, which gave me the opportunity to tour homes and and see the different architecture and see how people design their homes and, and, you know, things like that. So it gave me a way to get into real estate and architecture without having to be an architect. So I've definitely always kind of been into that. And, you know, I'm driving down the street and just looking at houses and, you know, in, in high school. And if I had a bad day, I'm like, I'm just taking the car and I would just drive around and look at houses and just kind of try to calm down and relax. So I've mm-hmm. uh, always been into real estate from a pretty young age.
2: How long were you doing real estate back then before you made your first pivot into your next endeavor?
0: So, real estate was, I did, I started, I got my license when I was 23. I was one of the fastest people to ever get their license, at least in the state of Wisconsin, from opening the first book to passing my test in 10 days. So, I knew that I had to get to work. So, but the problem was at 23, my circle of influence is buying, you know, $120,000 houses. My very first sale took I started in April. It was my first year. I sold one house to one friend for $125,000 for like a $1,500 commission. So I ended up working that and you know hanging around the office and, and working with other agents and built that business pretty good. I ended up doing four or $5 million a year in my, in my mid-20s. So I bought uh, my first duplex in 2006. I think I was 27 or something like that. Uh, gutted. I like, came home from the closing, took a hammer to the wall and just started smashing out the wall. I gutted the whole thing to the studs and rebuilt it all by myself, all from those home time shows in the morning, just thinking about how it all did. Never really hung drywall, never really did any of that stuff. just kind of figured it out as I went. But while I was doing that, you know, 2008, 2009, the market crashed. I was selling an, a condo project at that point and it just wasn't going anywhere. They kept pushing us off and pushing us off. So I ended up going to work back for my father in the jewelry industry which I did in college. So I did that for a few years. I'd started my clothing company at that point, nude clothing stood for nothing else will do, N E W D. So that became a screen printing business cuz clothing is just like a brutal business. Yeah, you, know, you got to carry all this inventory and hope that somebody buys what you what you're selling and know people just kept coming to me for my screen printing and so i I kept fighting i just tell my dad like god i just don't want to be a screen printer and he's like but if you run the numbers a guy comes in on thursday i order their shirts on friday i have them on monday and i'm paid on tuesday it's pretty quick turnaround you're not you know you're not fronting it for very long so i ended up growing that business out of my basement to about a million dollars in revenue before i sold that and uh, that's about the time we bought our 6,000 square foot commercial building. My wife and I had that for a couple of years before we moved out to Los Angeles. So I had my screen printing business move out of the basement into that building. She opened a gym uh, in part of that building. And then we rented out nine, we built out eight offices and rented those out. And those guys paid for the whole mortgage for the, so we we're running our businesses for free. And we were living for free because we were in a duplex and my tenants were paying for that. So kind of living the high life for a while. It was great.
2: Yeah. <laughs> There's, wow, there's a lot to unpack. I heard I heard a little bit of house hacking, which is what uh, the real estate world calls it when you're basically buying a place, living in it and having people paying your rent for you. Some commercial real estate. It sounds like a lot of your businesses, you know, kind of evolve from one to the other. Um, you know, we know people that do screen printing here in Boston um, and I always wasn't sure how lucrative a business that was. But if you could really grow it like like you've suggested and it's a really quick turnaround, not not big with receivables uh it's probably a very favorable business for cash flow is what it sounds like
0: with all of those that you just Yeah, I did um smaller runs like you know most of those screen printers like that do 100 200 you know 500 shirts I was like give me 10 20 50 100 shirts you know, that most people didn't want to talk to I took that all day long cuz I could do it within a day you know I I folded every single shirt individually so you know if you've ever ordered shirts before they're they're bundled up in dozens you grab one and it's just a huge mess we handfolded every single one we labeled every single one. I used to hang tag them with like little promotional cards. So we just did a lot of extra stuff that nobody else was really doing in the screen printing business. And I did all inclusive pricing. Cause I hated when you walk in there and be like, okay, it's $20 for the screen and then $20 for that screen. And then it's, it's this much for a print and this much for a shirt. It's like, dude, just tell me how much it is. So yeah. eight bucks, 12 shirts, one color like really straightforward
2: you know it, it sounds like the little things like i mean like you just kind of mentioned how important the details are with differentiating that business is that something you've carried through I, actually you can right answer the question because you're focusing right now on this little part of the shirt right the little things and this could this million dollar collar is a million dollar business right
0: yeah i mean the details to me are That's where it's all at. You know, I have one of my early promotions was attend to detail and it just is just a different way of saying it, but it's the little things. And one of the things I hear back all the time from my customers, a million dollar collar is I just feel more confident. I feel so put together and it's like the simplest little thing that you don't really, most people don't think about I've I've had to steal shirts out of my friend's closets and put this into their shirt because they're like, yeah, it's cool. I get it, but I don't know if I really Mm -hmm. need it. And they're like, "Thank you for making me acutely aware of a problem I never knew I had. But now that I know that I have it, I have to have this in every single shirt." So that's been fun. But I learned all that, a lot of that business and that the, the fine tuning from my dad. He's just a brilliant businessman, and uh, very fortunate to have watched him grow business from nothing to quite successful.
3: The first part of your story, I heard just lots of quick changes and people I know in the real estate industry uh, don't necessarily know when it's time to change. People latch on to old business models or even to old industries that no longer suit them. What was it that made you realize that it's time to make a change, time to to, to leave real estate, uh, time to um, do the clothing company, time to pivot the clothing clothing company into more of a screen printing operation? Uh, What made you make those decisions along the way?
0: I know that I'm not that smart. So I'm willing to listen to my customers and listen to the market and hear what they have to say. Um, I mean, my million dollar collar originally was going to be a dress shirt. We did a Kickstarter. We were going to do our own shirt. Uh, We did not get all the money. We didn't raise all the money we needed. But unequivocally, the feedback from people that were willing to give us money said, why are you trying to compete with all the brands? Why not try to license it? And why can't I upgrade the shirts I already know and love? And so I said, oh, that's brilliant. Well, they're willing to give us money and mm-hmm. this is what their advice is. Okay, I went back, I re- redesigned the whole thing. It's now a use- universal fitting piece that, I mean, it can go into any shirt. I've been, We've sold about almost a half a million units. I've never heard of a shirt that hasn't mm-hmm. fit inside of. And so any shirt in your closet can be upgraded. I'm just willing to listen. And uh, especially the person that's willing to put up money. If you talk to your friends, they'll give you some good advice. But unless they put their money up there, then to me, it's not really all that worth it. So, you know, the market, the real estate market kind of pushed me out in 2008 uh, between the condo project and just overall dying, you know, the way that the market was. So fortunately, you know, the timing worked out with my dad's company. So I went back there for a couple of years, but you know, him and I started butting heads a little bit. I'm like, look, I need new challenges. I've been, I'm top salesperson in the store. I'm top salesperson in this area. Like I need something more. And there just wasn't more for me. And so, you know, him and I decided that we'd rather be a good family than, um, than have anything happen within the business. So I went and focused solely on the screen printing business and, um, you know, was able to kind of take that and go and run with it. So uh, i feel like i've been fortunate i never like to say that i'm lucky but um mm-hmm. you know i work my butt off to, way too hard to say that i'm lucky but you know, things just tend, sometimes tend to work out
2: you know we've done a few uh, recent episodes where the guest has mentioned 2008 2009 as an inflection point uh and i'm old enough to remember it rory's old enough to remember it. we all kind of have our story around that time uh, some people who listen to this podcast are younger, so they're in their 20s, and they probably don't remember what it was like to go through that period. Um, and you, know, you've, you had a business change. Rory was coming out of law school. Um, I had a couple job losses during that time. They were brief, but it was like, I'm the kind of person that was never between jobs in my life. You know, I never have been since. So it was a very strange, jarring time. The real estate market uh, mm-hmm. you know, took, took a massive dive uh, in a lot of neighborhoods um around the country and you know i think that a lot of people that came out from that you know are now the ones that are super successful with whatever path they decided to take uh because it's like it's like a forest fire right you know it burns the whole forest down but then more trees will eventually grow right out of that forest fire you know so a lot of the ideas that are happening right now you know 10 11 12 years after a huge economic crisis started because people were forced to make a change and you know it's a common theme that we've had uh as with guests on our podcast recently everybody made a change around that time and maybe one one thing i should say if you are younger or listening to this is we could be in that same time right now with covid we don't know um you know there's been a lot of some people have been wildly successful uh, as a result of COVID or despite COVID. And some have been, it's been very economically challenging the past couple of years. Uh, but I do know that it's a big shock to the system, just like 08, 09, very different though. You know, this is a health crisis versus an economic crisis. But, you know, it, it sounds as though after that happened is where a lot of what you're doing now emanated from that, right? Did you meet your wife after that? And you started these businesses after that time?
0: Yeah, we met in... Uh 2010. So it was, it was after that things had kind of settled down. Don't think I was still working for my dad anymore at that point, but, or it was real close, but yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins and, you know, I know he's quite religious and he likes to say, you know, if God, if you don't, you know, prepare for, a, you know, things to change and God's going to force that change upon you, and then you're going to have to figure it out. Um, and I've kind of always felt that way that just really resonated with me. I mean, my wife and I absolutely love living in Los Angeles. We just love the the energy and the weather, and we're close to the ocean. And you know, she's in in the film industry. Like I said, Atlanta is the movie making capital of the world. And I said, look, we you're working a lot in Atlanta. I just don't see LA really holding on to that that charm that it's had for much longer. We either need to do something quick, or that decision going to be made for us. So. I'm glad we got one out when we did about March of last year. So we've been here almost a year in Atlanta, but, um, you know, I think sometimes you really have to look in the mirror and make the hard decision. It's not what you want to do, but sometimes you have to do certain things to stay being able to do the things that you want. I mean, we moved into a house that's five times bigger than we had in Los Angeles on five acres. And it's half the price. So, you know, the dogs <laughs> get to run free on five acres all day. And, uh-huh. um, You know, I love it because it's, it's my house and now I get to work on it again. So I haven't done anything, you know, since I had my house back in in Milwaukee in, you know, 2008, nine, 10. So I love getting my hands dirty and, you know, working on projects and got to be flexible man. you have to have to kind of read the room a little bit and, um, you know, not always make the right decisions. The, it's not always the easy one.
2: When did you move to Georgia?
0: In March of 2021. In like two weeks. She was here in January and February for seven weeks working. We were thinking about maybe kind of doing a bi-coastal thing, but with a Rottweiler. And I don't know if you've seen her <laughs> walking around. Lola's oh, yeah. a 70. Yeah, she's 70 pounds too. So we got 130 and a 70 pound dog. So it's not easy to find a rental. So she just started looking. She found this house on February 28th. We had an accepted offer on March 1st, closed on March 11th. I had the house packed and was in the, in the truck driving out here on like the 13th and that was it I mean, two weeks we were out of la that was it done
2: and then, and then so. the world kind of shut down shortly thereafter right
0: well 21 so we were already you know in the middle of all oh, this craziness 21. so but oh, we yeah. were in, in we that. were in cuba in march of 2020 when when it all started. So let me tell you how sketchy that was. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my
2: goodness. Yeah. I know we, we had had friends that were in Iceland when things started getting shut down and like, we're texting them saying like, you might want to come home now. Like (laughs) (laughs) We're not sure what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. All of a sudden in Cuba, people were wearing masks and uh, looking hmm. at us like, what did you bring to our Island? I'm like, I don't Mm -hmm. don't know what you're talking about.
2: I'm I'm healthy. Rory could probably comment a little bit on that also. I mean, like there's been an exodus from cities into uh, suburbs all around the country. We're starting to see it flip a little bit here in Boston, but you know, what are you seeing Rory? I mean, like, this is the kind of, you know, Rob moved from a small place in L.A. to a huge place in Georgia. That's
3: Well, one thing I picked on on what Rob said that rings true here is he said for them, part of the the charm of L.A. might be going away, at least in the short term. And part of that it happened across all cities, therefore, you know, in the heart of COVID. The reason you live in a city is to enjoy kind of the amenities and the culture and the people. And if that's taken away, I think it's temporary, obviously, but if that gets taken away... There's no real reason to live as it, right in the city center. So the suburbs became a hot ticket item in the real estate market for a while. But yeah, as we reopen and as things kind of settle back in, the, the charm of the city is coming back. But there are a lot of people in my generation who are probably primed to move to a bigger place um, for their kids, for their dogs, or just for their lifestyle. And they took this as the chance to go. Um, so Rob's certainly not alone.
0: I mean, we're 12 minutes from a studio. We're two and a half miles off the highway. I got a grocery store five minutes away and I live on a dirt road. It is crazy. Weirdest thing, but I freaking love it.
3: (laughs) It's With your move, I know um, obviously you didn't take your um, fishing charter business with you to Atlanta. That's in Los Angeles. And you probably still have some operations there. How are you managing these businesses remotely?
0: So um, I got very, very lucky. One of the captains that I had working with me, just, we really hit it off and uh, I kind of let him take charge of the boat business. I handled all the bookings. He made sure the front end was taken care of. We had a really great crew member. She understood what I wanted. You know, and when I first moved, I think I was going out like every weekend or every other weekend I was flying back and forth to LA. So I think I flew 34 times and 2021, which is kind of crazy for me. But um, I didn't think gold member status was something that was ever going to be a thing for me. But um, I went back and forth quite a bit in the beginning, just to kind of understand how this was all going to work. And once we had that system kind of figured out, I got the bookings, made sure that they knew that what was happening and business cranked. I mean, it's I've not been all that successful in hiring in the past. Um, My screen printing business and some of the other businesses I've had, I've tried tried having employees and I just haven't been great at it, but I got it right on this, this go around, I guess. So we're, you know, we're getting ready to start up another season and and hopefully have another, uh, another great year in Los Angeles on boat.
2: We'll we'll make sure to put a link to Bella Boating. I'm sure it's just bellaboating.com, right? I think I was just on the website before yep. this, but we'll put a link yeah. in the show notes. The Social media shows a, a lot of great photos and you know, I was looking at the types of charters that you do and it looks like it's a little higher end, isn't it? Like with the people that are booking with you.
0: Yeah, we've kind of wanted to go for that luxury market. I mean, we were $550 an hour to start um, and that's for up to six people and then it's another $100 per person for each additional to 12 maximum. I mean, we were always hoping like, look, if we can, we actually had, what happened was we sold the real estate in Wisconsin, both properties to a guy Mm -hmm. and we needed to put the money somewhere. And so, you know, instead of paying tons and tons in taxes, we leveraged the profits into the boat, which you can get into that. There's a deduction for charter boats. So we started this charter business from scratch. I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't know a ton. Um, I got my captain's license, we got the business crank in, we've been doing it for about three and a half years now, and it's ridiculous, the business that we built. I mean, it's, you know, you got a town, LA, 15, 18 million people that are within driving distance, plus used to be a huge tourist town. So Mm -hmm. we had tons of tourism coming. I mean, we have Four Seasons and a bunch of great high-end hotels that use this as as references. Um, So, you know, and because my wife's in the industry, you know, we had Beyonce and, you know. Pauly Shore shot a scene on his movie and we've got a lot of athletes and, you know, people like that. I mean, it's been wild. It's like never thought, you know, it was just something that we were kind of passionate about. We were hoping that we'd get a free boat out of the deal and maybe work, you know, four or five charters a month. But, you know, in July of this year, we did 34 charters in one month and made wow. a ridiculous amount of money. And it was, uh, it's been, been very fortunate. And
2: you're going out of Marina Del Rey,
0: right? Marina Del Rey. Yep.
2: Is that, is that the one right by LAX?
0: Right. Yeah. So LA, I, the other one that there's a smaller one that's near is a uh, Redondo. It's called King Harbor, but I actually called them and they're like, they laughed when I asked about a 50 foot mm-hmm. slip and they said, sure. If you want to get on the five-year waiting list, you can get on the five-year waiting. It's very small, but Marina Del Rey is the largest man-made marina in the world. It's about 6,000 slips. So it's where everybody kind of goes for if they're going to charter. So that's yeah, been fun. It's been a while.
2: So commercial real estate out of Milwaukee and Green Bay turned into a boat charter business out of Marina Del Rey.
0: That is Mm -hmm. very wild. Well, the screen printing business with the all-inclusive pricing turned into the commercial with, we did all-inclusive offices. So your internet, your electricity, because when I was looking to move out of the basement, you know, I was like, okay, the space is this much, but how much am I gonna burn on electric and the internet? And You know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're just kind of starting out, the variable in those monthly bills can be scary. So let's just price this thing, break it all out. We've got eight offices. Here's what the overall nut is. Let's break it all out. Just give people you know, a single price. And mm-hmm. people absolutely loved it. So I mean, I had an office for, that was 90 square feet that I got $350 a month for, which is you can work on that price per square foot and enjoy that number. But you know, we took that idea. We bought a second building after we moved to Los Angeles. I was just kind of like, look, I want to stay on top of my numbers. I want to continue to understand the real estate industry. So I was looking around at properties, commercial properties in Wisconsin. I found a a building two miles down the road from my in-laws up in Green Bay, 16,000 square feet with 22 offices that I ended up, it was at foreclosure that I ended up buying for like 160 grand. So we put 125 into remodeling it, filled the thing up. And that was, by the time we sold both those buildings, we had only owned that second one for 13 months and sold it for three and a half times what we paid for it in 13 months. So I love that aspect of finding something. Like I could drive by an old warehouse, and be like, I could see some really cool potential in that, and that's kind of the architecture side of me, I guess. But saw this building sight unseen. I never saw it until the day of closing, and I was like, Oh my god, what did I buy? Yeah. And but it ended up working out.
3: Would you ever consider doing that again?
0: Yeah, you know, um, I've really enjoyed that business. I love learning about real estate. My wife, one of her girlfriends, was just here. Her husband owns about. Almost two million square feet of industrial space, so I'm learning a little bit about that business or that part of the business. So I definitely want to get back into you know owning some real estate and having more of that residual like income instead of everything that we've worked so hard for. So starting to do the research again, starting to look around, and you know there's a lot of opportunity here in Atlanta, especially with the movie industry. So really excited about what the future has
2: what types of new investments do you think you're looking at are they local in atlanta or are they going to be another market Uh, is there a niche that you're looking at like commercial or warehouse or short-term rentals or what's kind of what's the itch you have
0: i've got a few friends that are in the airbnbs and they say a lot of good things makes me a little bit nervous but i also like the fact that it's established enough that you know most of the systems are in place at this point so for a, a new Airbnb owner at t- today to just walk in and say, okay, well, the cleaning is taken care of and the maintenance. Like all those systems are already in place and all the bookings. So I like that about Airbnb. Not a fan of never really had a lot of residential other than my duplex. I loved our commercial buildings because you'd have, you know, two or three bathrooms and nine offices and just not a lot of plumbing to deal with. So I've liked that. My buddy just ran into a guy I met a guy that owns 21 mobile home parks. And he is talking about, you know, selling his Ferrari and then he got a Lamborghini and then somebody wanted his Lamborghini. They paid him 50 grand more than his Lamborghini was worth. So I don't mind that world either. I don't really care what it is, you know? So I love learning about it. love learning new things. I always love getting a new job because it was just like, you know, overload of got to learn how to do this and this system and that and figure that out. And so, you know, looking at different aspects of the market for sure.
2: We have uh, a few episodes about short-term rentals. This part of the Real Estate Law Podcast, we interviewed um, Natalie Palmer. She's a great Airbnb uh, super host that she actually is, I, I don't know what she does on the side for Airbnb. Like she kind of welcomes new hosts on, but I followed her on Instagram and we just got talking and mm-hmm. she runs a couple properties out at Big Bear Lake in California. Is that right? Did I get that right, mm-hmm. Corey? Big
3: Bear? Uh, well, Big Bear, um, yeah.
2: Big Bear, yeah. And, you know, it's all about building systems. We shared a bunch of war stories. You know, she's, she's great. And like, we were able to... F- kind of commiserate on the fact that we have a couple Airbnbs ourselves, and one is in a very touristy area, uh, and one is very off the beaten path, and they both do well for different reasons. Like, And there's a couple short list of things that you could do with Airbnbs that, you know, will lead to success. And you could do them anywhere, pretty much, but you just have to watch local regulations, you know, because if a, if a town bands together and decides to ban them, you know, then you're SOL.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would never buy one that was in like a condo building for that exact reason. Cause you only need that HOA within a condo building to say you're done and then you're screwed. So, um, that makes me a little bit nervous, but you know, learning about this industrial space has been crazy. I mean, that what this guy does and how he manages it, it's like, Oh, okay. I mean, I just never understood it. So it, it just never was a thing for me, but over 20 years, he's accumulated almost 2 million square feet. So I'm like, what do you do for a living? Is I walk to the mailbox and pick up rent money? <laughs> pick up my checks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and raise my dollar.
2: Well, well, Rob, you have your fingers in so many different businesses right now. And before we head to our final wrap up, I do want to talk about Million Dollar Collar in a little more depth because it's, is that where you're putting a lot of your time right now? Is that the big, I mean, I, I see collars behind your, your right shoulder. So I bet you that's something that uh, a lot of people that are listening would love to hear more about.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the bulk of my uh, attention. Uh, So I came up with this in 2013 after my wedding. It took about two and a half, three years to get patented. Um, So in 2016 is when we launched. So we're just coming up, starting our sixth year on online sales. Almost everything so far has been direct to consumer. We went directly to all the biggest brands when we first got the patent. We're like, we got this great technology. We met with all these guys and, like, "Eh, I don't know if it's really a thing. Prove it. And so now we've sold almost a half a million units. Um, Direct to consumer, 125 countries. Most people order 15 to 20 units at a time, and so you know the focus now. Now that we've got a half a million units, I think it's a pretty strong number. It's really hitting these factories and really hitting the big brands and say, "Look, let's look. How do we get this into a shirt?" You know, we were really close right before COVID hit in October of 2019. We were meeting with Express, which, ironically, like I said, was the the shirt that I got married in. Um, mm-hmm. So it had come full circle. I was back at Express. I was in this great shirt. I was in. The, we had this great meeting. They wanted to do like a huge test, um, and then it came out that Lex Wexler was like the main guy that funded Jeffrey Epstein, and uh, you know one of their other brands, Victoria's Secret, needed some help. And then COVID hit. It was just like the perfect whirlwind of perfect storm of three terrible things. So. know we're still in touch with those guys and um and just talking to a lot of brands working with a couple other people overseas to try to just get into the factories and make this a a real option um the one thing that most people just the the big glitch is, is that you have to get this sewn into the shirt if you look you know both sides are visible so if you just had something that's stuck on with the millions of patterns of fabric that are out there i mean i got three patterns just for the three of us sitting here so mm-hmm. you know th- it would just look awful so thankfully every shirt has two layers here and two layers in the collar band so you open it less than an inch of stitches slide it in sew it back together like every shirt's made exactly the same it takes five minutes for any anybody with basic sewing skills i've had tons of guys buy it and say dude i taught myself how to sew i was so excited about trying this thing out i just taught myself how to sew and figured it out it's really easy so i do most of the installations myself you can see my sewing machine right there on the floor so i do a lot of uh like our vip packs and you know people send in five shirts i just like use my hands you know staying staying physical and doing things like that so it's been a fun business it's totally different than everything else i've done so it's a little frustrating on that point but i am like an ox and i just keep ramming my head until until we get through and and i'm just gonna keep going at it so
2: that's awesome. That's like, it's, again, it's the problem that nobody knew that they had, but now everyone was, is looking at it saying, oh yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. We all do have that problem. Cory mm-hmm. actually did a good job in not wearing a button shirt today for the sole purpose, uh, because we don't want you to make fun of the both of us. Yeah. So I'm taking a <laughs> of my, whatever color, what's it called again? Pachetitis. 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 <laughs> <Placiditis. laughs> Well, Rob, this has been a great discussion. I really appreciate hearing about your journey from real estate into, uh, into apparel uh, and a little bit of stops with apparel along the way. If we could just get into our final wrap-up where we ask the same three questions of all of our guests, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll then have you let everyone know where, where people could find you. First question we have, if you were to be able to uh, hop on a stage and speak for 30 minutes with no preparation about any topic in the world,
0: what would it be? You know, I think my experience just of doing business, you know, I, you called me a serial entrepreneur and I guess that that is one way to say it. I hate titles. I hate them. Like I hate them. My nude company, I called myself a director of direction because I just, I don't i just I'm trying to steer the ship in the right direction. That's it. So I could definitely get up and we just did talk for 30 minutes with any, nothing scripted and a couple questions. So, you know, I could talk about how I've been successful and the things that have worked for me. And it's just a little thing, you know, it's just treat people how you want to be treated and, and even a little bit better and, um, you know, hope they tell their friends and mm-hmm. just do your best.
2: Learning all those lessons along the way also. I mean, like you've mentioned a couple of things that are just applicable in whatever endeavor people are, people are doing these days. So secondly, that actually leads into the second question. Tell us something that's happened early in your life that um, impacts the way uh, your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today.
0: So my first real job. I had a couple little jobs um, before this, but when I was 17, I got hired at a soccer and volleyball store. I Played very competitive soccer in high school and college, uh, and after, even till six weeks ago, when I tried to get back on the field and tore my Achilles tendon, which sucks. Let me tell you, yeah. torn an Achilles, it's brutal. So I got hired at this place, and day one, the owner handed me a key to the store and a code to the alarm and put all this faith and trust in me from day one. And he basically said, you know, any part of this business that you want to be in, this is your business. You can explore anything that that excites you. And he had a bunch of high school and college kids working their butts off in between class and after school. And, you know, we really felt like it was our business. And the fact that he gave me that confidence at such a young age, I can never, ever, you know, repeat, repay him for that. Unfortunately, a few years later, he ended up dying uh, totally randomly. Twenty minutes after I hung up the phone with him, the tissue around his heart thickened, and he literally dropped dead with a two and a half year old son and another one on the way. So, wow. I think about him all the time. It was my very first tattoo, and uh, you know, he's been a, a mentor, and you know, I'm very, very fortunate to have him come in my life.
2: Yeah. Well, you could probably repay that level of trust with others, you know, as you move forward with your business, you know, he put a lot of trust in you right there when you were young and, you know, he must've seen something that he said he could trust you.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, I feel like, you know, with our boat business, when my captain, you know, when we have a holiday weekend, like Memorial Day, or Labor Day, 4th of July, I mean, they'll be doing 10 or 12 charters. They're on the water for 12 or 13 hours a day. So after that weekend, you know, Memorial Day weekend last year, my wife was like, hey, we should give them a bonus. I mean, they, but we've done that. We know how hard it is. Cut them both $500 checks. And my captain's my age, 43 years old. He was like on the verge of tears. Like, dude, nobody's ever given me a bonus in my life ever. Wow. And he's yeah. 43 years old. And so like, yeah. oh, I, I don't know. Thank you. I don't know. You <laughs> did a great job. I appreciate you. I can rely yeah. on you. Like, I don't want mm-hmm. to have to. He's like constantly texting me, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm like, dude, I have you doing this because I don't care. I don't want to hear about it. Like I trust you, go for it, knock it out. Like, you don't have to put in time off for me. Like, just tell yeah. me you're not gonna be around, we'll we'll work it out. So it's a totally different world that he's working with me versus his his normal day job. So
2: treat your people well is a great lesson there. You know, with with our Airbnbs, you know, the people that clean are instrumental to our success. So, you know, we respond quickly, we pay immediately. We, um, treat them very, very well. You know, it's, I mean, he's so important to your operations out there, you know, $500 is, uh, you know, it went far. He'll easy. He'll remember that forever. Yeah. So finally, so w- what are some things that you're watching, reading or listening to these days?
0: So we just worked our way through Yellowstone, which is ridiculous. It's an amazing show. My wife, she has bought her first horse. She's been riding since she was eight years old. So um, it's definitely a big part of her life. And, um, uh, that's been a really fun show. You know, we're always out catching whatever shows or movies she's been on. So we're always trying to find that stuff that's out there, but, um, yeah, watched, um, world war Z last night. And like I said, we watched all Yellowstone. We're actually catching up on walking dead. Cause she works on that quite a bit. So she doubles, uh, Jenna Elfman and *Fear the Walking Dead*, so we'll we'll watch that at some point, I'm sure. So
2: fell off the Walking Dead train, but I loved it the first few seasons. I mean, it just and then things that we have a almost three year old right now, so like we don't really watch many serialized shows anymore because we fall asleep. Uh, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Walking Dead. I mean, that was such it was such like must see TV immediately. It's still a great show. I just I don't I'm not up to date unfortunately.
0: Yeah, I think we're in season three or four or something like that. So we're still. We like to wait until it's over so we can just yeah. binge it. And, you know, Breaking Bad, we're watching till like 2.30, 30, 3 in the morning. We're like, all right, one more episode. We're going to bed.
2: <laughs> Those two shows. I mean, like, you know, I used to work with uh, Comcast, which is, um, you know, a big cable company, internet company. NBC Universal owns, no, Comcast owns M- NBC Universal. Um, but I remember when I first um, was working with them, I was with the ad sales division on the digital side. And those were the two big shows, you know, because those shows were only on cable, on demand was, you know, emerging. Everyone had to watch Breaking Bad, Walking Dead. It was must see TV, and the ratings mm-hmm. were off the charts at the time. So, I mean, this is just about 10 years ago. Your wife is a stunt woman, right? So yep. She's been on, you said Fear the Walking Dead or Walking Dead or both of them?
0: Both. She's actually going back to work on The Walking Dead, I think, uh, next week. It's filmed here in Atlanta, and um, but Fear of the Walking Dead films yeah. in Austin. But she doubles Jenna uh, on Fear, so Jenna and her really great relationship. There's times that like Jenna will turn around and be like, dude, that is freaky, man. I'm like looking at <laughs> a mirror.
2: Has she been zombified?
0: Like, zombified? Oh yeah, she's has yeah. been a zombie. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. She, that is here in the humidity with all that makeup yes. and oh. prosthetics. So she actually, the big prosthetics she did was for Captain Marvel. She was a scrawl. and it took day one on her first day of shooting. It took six and a half hours to get the makeup on and oh. three hours to get it off. And then you got like a 12 hour day in between of working. So hmm. they ended up getting it down to about three hours to put on, you know, late on hmm. later in the movie. But yeah, I mean she's, she's done some crazy stuff. 50 or 60 credits. I mean, she's only been in the industry a couple of years. So she busted butt. She's got a business degree. She's like, look, it's show business. I'm going to work mm-hmm. this like a business and very successful.
2: God, what a fascinating life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty <laughs> well. <while. laughs> Meanwhile, I, th- I think that our daughter woke up from her nap. So I'm going to go check on her at this point, which is basically the all right. that we're living right now. So, <laughs> right. Um, but, Rob, can you, can you tell everybody where you can be found? And we'll, and we'll put all this in the show notes as well.
0: Yeah. You know, our website's milliondollarcollar.com. Our GoTieList, you know, you talk about pivoting, GoTieList.com. We pivoted that company. So instead of competing in the dress shirt market, what our company, our factory can do is digitally print any logo on fabric. So instead of getting a shirt and embroidering your logo left chest and looking like a trade show shirt, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. all this contrast in these shirts can have any logo in any color your company so you've got really really we call them the classiest logo shirts ever made and so it's a 50 shirt minimum order but if you've got a business that you want to have really great looking shirts million dollar collar built Mm -hmm. in you want your your crew to look great or you want to give them away to clients those are amazing our go tyler shirts are amazing so we've got that we have all the instagram and facebook handles for both of those companies and i'm on linkedin at uh rob kessler i i i i'm the third rob kessler the third Mm -hmm.
2: Well, Rob Kessel III, we'll put links to all those in the show notes so everybody can go buy lots of million-dollar collars and go tie shirts for their 50 or more shirt orders.
3: Yes. Appreciate um,
2: it. Rory, where can we find you?
3: Um, easy enough to find. Just look for me at Next on Titletown. That's next on or Urban Village Legal, urbanvillagelegal.com.
2: And – for some reason, if people want to talk to me, they could reach me at jason at nexthometitletown.com uh, and I'm happy to respond, I will. So Rob, thank you so much. We really appreciate your telling uh, your story, your journey, telling us where you are today. Uh, it's very inspiring to hear you know, the path that you've taken and how you've worked from uh, you know, a series of jobs into where you are today. Um, you know, We wish you the best and success. We can't wait to see your wife in more stunts uh, for things. anything that's filming in Georgia. I'll go take a look and see what she looks like just so I can. Be an eagle eye, and uh, we'll watch her fear the walking dead and, and see whenever Jenna Elfman does something that does not look like something she would do. I'm sure it was your wife, yeah. right? Yep,
0: yeah, yep. Yeah. Check out Linda, at Linda R. Kessler.com is her website. You can see her reel and all of this, all the crazy stuff she's done. She's badass. I will do that. We will, yeah. Proud well, hubby. They-
2: Thank you so much. And uh, for you, thanks for listening to uh, the Real Estate Law Podcast. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, if you can like and subscribe and comment and do all those things that podcast hosts ask for, uh, it helps us all because then more people get to hear us. So uh, signing off, my name is Jason Muth, and I appreciate your listening.
1: Thank you. Thank you. This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures. And law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Town, greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.